I'd like to thank the Baxter Brewing Company and the New England Free Jacks for sending me their Free Jacks Baxter IPA. I don't know if I've got that name correct, but I do know one thing. This is a good beer. Thank you, Free Jacks. Thank you, Baxter. I'm going to fully enjoy this gift. Next on Rugby Wrap-Up, Steve Lewis and Matt McCarthy welcome Los Pumas legend and the man that shook the world rugby election process, Agustin Pichot. Rugby Wrap-Up brought to you in part by The Pig and Whistle, the world's best rugby pub, and Lean and Limber, stretch your way to a healthier lifestyle. Hey everybody and welcome back to Rugby Wrap-Up, Matt McCarthy in Midtown Manhattan and ladies and gentlemen, let me welcome in my good friend from the Upper West Side of Manhattan, Mr. Steve Lewis who is also two-time USA Rugby Coach of the Year, the current Jamaica Sevens coach, and the most informed, educated, and independent member of USA Rugby's Congress. Stephen, welcome. Thank you, Matthew. I'll, I'll take that. Flattery, uh, flattery gets you everywhere. Well, accolades are something that we hand out here, but you are well-deserved of all of them. But just a couple of things about this, this election that Pichot lost ultimately 28 to 23. It was basically a first. Pichot rocked the boat. He ran against Bill Beaumont. There really hasn't ever been an election. Yeah, I think this is the first contested election. You know, typically it's always been, you know, Six Nations power brokers, uh, what's called up there, Buggins turn, right? You'd be, be a good guy, buy your gin and tonics, get your blazer on, and it'll be your turn in four years. Um, so that's what's refreshing about this is that belatedly democracy is coming to world rugby governance and there is actually a genuine contest. And we had two starkly different candidates to choose from. Clear generational distinction between the two candidates and in some ways hemispheric, right? You've got the old order, the Six Nations, Bill Beaumont personifies that perhaps more than any, anyone could. And then you have the, um, the insurgent for want of a better word. You know, you have a Latin American, a youthful Latin American visionary um, approach to it. So quite the contrast. This, it's, it's ridiculous. It's, it's like we had to sit around and wait for the, the, the smoke to come out of the chimney. It's like the Vatican. And you have these, these old guard guys voting. It's 51 votes. Uh, there's really no transparency whatsoever. And... They went ahead as business as usual, despite the fact that the COVID pandemic really killed any chance of Pichot campaigning in person. And he's a people's guy. He, when, you, when you hear him speak in person, he makes a connection. That was all gone. And I, and, I, and I think that's suspicious. This murky voting process is archaic. Apart from the fact that they didn't really have voting in the Middle Ages, I mean, this, this process is absolutely medieval. Um, it's fundamentally undemocratic, with different nations having different weighted votes, votes being secret ballot behind closed doors, all sorts of jiggery-pokery and back deals going on. It, not a transparent process. You know, everyone talks about transparency as a key, you know, <clears throat> a key criteria in the game or a key value of the game. It's a nonsense. It, it, this couldn't be more cloak and daggers if you invented it that way. What was that? Jig jiggery and, and, and what? Jiggery pokery. Shenanigans. Nonsense. Hold that thought, Stephen. We do have Mr. Pichot joining us right now. How are you guys? Couldn't get in. I had my internet gone down in this isolation, so I apologize for being late. I hope it wasn't sabotage on the part of World Rugby. 
the election, yeah. Um, I hope not. <laughs> All right, but let, let's let's give you a proper welcome, sir. You are a big deal for people that might not know it. Uh, on and off the pitch, you had a stellar career with Argentina's national team, Los Pumas. 71 caps, often as a captain. Then you also played for Los Pumas' seven side. I think you had seven appearances on the circuit, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think so. I'm not very good with statistics, my friend. But yeah, if you say so, I trust you. Well, I appreciate the trust. Thank you. Getting back to your playing career, you also had a stellar professional playing career, playing in the English Premiership and then making a name for yourself in France. And if I'm not mistaken, you were the first foreign captain to have a team, Stade Francais, win the top 14. Is that correct? That's Because that's a big deal. Correct. That, was, that, that one I know, yes. I, that was a big deal. Yeah, that one I, I, I think I, is correct, yes. And you've translated your success on the pitch to success off the pitch as a businessman, but you've also had this meteoric rise up the world rugby ladder to the point where you just, as Steve and I were talking about, ran against Bill Beaumont, Sir Bill Beaumont, for world rugby chair and or chairman. Correct. That's correct as well. After all the success that you've had off the pitch as a businessman, why deal with these headaches of getting involved in world rugby? Again, I, rugby is my passion. As you said, I had, I had the luxury of playing four World Cups, uh, one in sevens uh, World Cup. I, I, I love the game. It gave me a lot. And, and I think, again, I, I'm a, I've been doing really well in business. Um, and I think, you know, we have this thing of giving back to the game. I love the game. And when I, I decided to just help Argentina to, to have a stronger union, to go financially sustainable, um, and we created a plan. We put the Pumas in the rugby championship. Then we did our first franchise, a professional game. And now we created the, the South America Professional League. So we've done... I've done that because I felt that, that it's important that, that rugby grows and, and, and grows all over the place. And I wanted the same for world rugby. I think world rugby has been, as you can see it in USA, how USA suffered in the last years, regardless if it was bad administration or bad leadership, or you, you, can, you know better than me. But, but still, it's not, a fair, it's not a fair landscape for USA rugby. So I think it's the same happens with other unions around the world, and that's why I challenged the system. I could have stayed as the vice chairman. I could have stayed in my businesses, uh, making money. Um, but I decided to do something better for the game. Your passion is undeniable. I mean, there's just no arguing with it. But if I'm not mistaken, you were also vice chair of World Rugby for Bill Beaumont. But simultaneously, you were on the USA Rugby board and on the board of... The Argentinian Rugby Union, UAR, am I correct? I was with, no, I was in Sansa, New Zealand, Australia, and South Africa. We, we create, it's a, it's a, a, a company that runs all the rugby in the Southern Hemisphere. Yes, correct. You were also instrumental in getting Argentina into the rugby championship. Yes, and, and as you said, I tried, and we can, we can go into that subject, when, when USA went into very strong financial difficulties, I raised my hand to just help the USA. Because I, I think 
they needed again uh it was a very hard uh case as you know after the san francisco world cup death uh, but i thought that again i could share and help with a lot of humbleness in in the board and they took me in um and and i had a wonderful time there for one year one year and a half you and steve to me are birds of a feather you're very similar in the fact that you're kind of like watchdogs for what is fair and taken on the man um, respectfully or respectively in your different, on your different levels. And, and I don't know if you know this about Steve, but just like three years ago, he got on Congress and he started to try to exact change. And in his first vote, he was the lone dissenting vote. It was like 40 something to one. <laughs> And I see you now trying to take on the establishment of world rugby and getting pretty close your first time out. But we, we're jumping ahead talking about world, uh, USA rugby right now. But since we're on it, I'll just turn it over to Steve. Yeah. So, um, Gus, when we look at American rugby, um, we, we have some successes on the field, right? The Eagles men's and women's sevens are both very successful, very competitive. The MLR is going well. Um, and obviously, you've been involved, as you say, in the board for a while. To what do you attribute the reasons why USA Rugby can't get its act together off the field? We've had a different regimes, similar problems. Yeah, again, Steve, and I'm going to be very respectful because, you know, I have a lot of respect and passion. And, and yeah, I did that for USA. It was just on the complete, like you do it with USA Rugby. I, from outside, wanted to do it for USA Rugby as well, even if I'm Argentinian. Um, but it's the game. Um, I felt, I feel that uh, USA, it's, it's, you have, you have um, two different problems outside of governance. You can talk about governance, you know much more than me, the Congress, how that, the boards and how that's structured because it's, it's a very unique way and, and we have other ways of, of dealing with that. The only thing I can tell you is that for, for, for having success on the pitch that you, you have in the, in, the, in, in the women's and the men's in sevens, you need to invest into proper plans of high performance, correct? And it's, it's a short run or a long run. And that comes back to the grassroots. I've always been saying from day one, and you guys understand it more, is how you bring more athletes into the game for them having a successful team. That is, but at the same time, that it has some uh, investment in. And on the other side, that you don't do stupid commercial decisions or political decisions to put them on the right place. You know, USA is a very expensive place to, to, to do things, you know, from liability, insurance, and people think or tend to think that there's a magical one there, that there's money all over the place, that if you're successful, then you'll be a millionaire. And we've seen on the last, what happened with the last professional setup that you had and what happens with in Las Vegas tournament for many years. And, and again, it's not so easy. It's a very complex system that needs a very uh, strategic plan. And, and, and sometimes uh, the leadership between Congress and the board is not the same. Yeah, I mean, it's been, certainly been part of the problem, muddled, muddled leadership, shall we say. But um, the, the opportunities are obviously there. The, uh, the potential is there, both athletically, I think, and commercially. So I think everyone recognizes that. The world is waiting for us to get our act together, you know, so it is incumbent upon us to do that. Um, so sort of staying in the hemisphere, um, one of the more attractive parts of, um, say, your manifesto or whatever, 
is uh, to me, coaching Jamaica Sevens, is the sort of democratization of the game. So, so having coached there, coached in Africa, the athletic talent and potential in the Caribbean or in Af Africa is massive and it's been ignored. My, Steve, they voted against me. A guy that lived in England and represents the Caribbean, uh, why would he want change? You know, and, 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 and that's something you have to ask. Uh, again, you know, you know what I think and I've been following your team and I spoke to, to, to your players and some of, of your coaches. What is the perspective of Jamaica if they if, to have a pathway to play on an international circuit? If you don't have that pathway, it's impossible that the game would grow, correct? Because correct. you keep on coaching players and you don't have a landscape where to play. How would a Jamaican guy think that he can arrive to an Olympic game, correct? If there is no pathway. My whole program was about creating pathways all over the place. It's about different tournaments, um, uh, regional tournaments. So not only taking care of the top 16 teams or 14 teams in 15s and 7s, but having the whole pathway. So if you're coaching Jamaica, you know exactly, if you're a, sorry, if you're a Jamaican player, and you know exactly how to make it happen. At the moment, that, that's cut. You, don't have, you, can, you can coach them however you want, but at, the same, at, at some stage, and the same happens with the USA rugby team. How many games does the USA rugby team have to prepare themselves to be successful in Japan? How many games they have? Not many, did they? Three tier one games in four years. And you're right. So for instance, that Challenger series, Chile and Uruguay, was a, was a competitive playing opportunity. Yeah, that's like, that's, you, know, Steve, how, you know how long it took me to approve that? Four years. Four years to have a decent competition to give you guys platform to play and Japan was there, Germany, they did very well, both of them, and everyone was very well there. So these are the things that we have to realize that it's about the game. Not spending millions of dollars in marketing and having more tournaments for people to play. That, that's, that's my view of the game. The game has to be for the athletes, for them to play. Okay, so for people that are tuning in that don't know this, you were assigned by World Rugby to be on USA Rugby's board of directors after World Rugby bailed USA Rugby out following the financial debacles that were the World Cup Sevens in San Francisco. A spectacular event if you were a fan, but awful, tragic for USA Rugby financially, as was the South Africa versus Wales match in Washington, D.C. So I'm, I'm wondering how a guy with your passion and your knowledge was in that room while this second debacle was, was taking place and happening. What, what happened? Matt, probably you don't know me. Um, and I knew that I was, and I said it on the first meeting on the board, and I don't want to take ourselves my responsibility. And I know when I lead, and I know when I'm part of a, of, a, of, a, of, a, of a democratic seat that is the board. I was put there by World Rugby. And to be honest, it was a, quite an uncomfortable situation. You know, just, you're not being invited. Uh, you are there because of because the union uh, after San Francisco it was an, a death a death that we all know that it was uh, completely in red um, and I my whole approach to the board and I always said is I'm not here to just correct or do anything I believe in the responsibility of the members of the Congress and not World Rugby telling you what to do and not to do. That wasn't my place, and it was, I was never going to be my place. When 
my always, I always said from day one, and again, I'm, I'm accountable, uh, and when that the high-performance system had to be taken care of. And Barbara O'Brien uh, didn't let me do that. She said she, she was more concentrated on the governance. And it, it was very tough for somebody from outside to just do things when, when during one year that I was there, the chairman was only focused in dealing with the Congress. And, and, and at the end of the day, the problems that you were having were towards, uh, towards the, 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 I said, the logistics and, and that part of it. You know what I mean? Yeah, the, the overspend was on administration. You're right, on, on high performance administration. So that, that's where it was. Um, but you're right. I mean, I, I, you could see that with all the political troubles, you know, that um, perhaps that's the reason that the, I was taken off the ball. From, from her perspective. You, you know about it and you can tell it. I'm, I, I don't hide anything. And I, I'm, not, Matt, I'm not taking away my responsibility again, but I'm telling you why I could. I've been from day one, and it, everyone knows, and, and I work a lot with Paul Santinelli. He was on the grassroots and he done a, an amazing job with Fedra and the athletes that was always there about the governance problems, about Congress and the board all the time. Governance, uh, Liability that it's part of the USA, uh, the, pro the problem with, 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 with the sevens that I couldn't, I couldn't interfere because I was in conflict. So it was a quite a difficult moment. And, and Steve, you can talk about that. I, I, again, I, don't, I, I was part of it, but the chairman was always looking at the problem with, 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 with the Congress. Yeah, it's a mind-numbing mess that needs to once and for all and finally be fixed so that we can all move ahead. But on a different point, this whole thing about the giant awakening and that, that cliche that we are so sick of hearing on this side of the pond, Gus. And, and also you have the other cliche bandied about that the turkeys don't want to vote for Thanksgiving or, or Christmas, right? The two collide. And as a result, you don't have what we feel is any real effort by any of the powers that be that control the money to actually help the giant awaken. Because if you go back to that first bailout or that line of credit or loan or whatever you want to call it, how does a line of credit or a loan that you have to pay back help an organization that is basically on the brink of bankruptcy? A lot of us don't see it that way. We see it as just another way of keeping the giant from awakening. <laughs> What's your take on that? I don't believe in the giant stories. I don't believe in, I, I'm a, I like the step-to-step, -step, build a team, build a product, build the, build the grassroots uh, and just and go slowly. That's how I see it. Um, I've been with the MLR, great project. I've been with them. I, I spent some time with them just to see if that could grow. Um, I think many people have looked at it like a one shot and like like uh, like the uh, golden giant. What does that mean? You know what I mean? You just carry on. It's like saying to you on the next race, let's bet on this horse that in the next race he will do better, and you carry on betting and and suddenly you have you sold your house for it. Um, again, I come from a very I come from a country that struggles. And I can tell you, Argentina today is on the best financial, one of the four best financial federations in the world because we put a plan in place where we, could, we were achieving step by step. It took us nearly four years to get to the championship and eight years 
to have a professional team in the in the Super Rugby. Today, the union uh, has a very good uh, a very good organization. Even with the coronavirus, we we, we can ha we have enough money in the reserves to carry on. So again, it can be done, but with a good attitude. Again, with a good leadership. I don't think that USA Rugby had good leadership. You make you make a fair point, but I, I want to piggyback on the Major League Rugby, the MLR thing, a little bit because I know that you're a big fan of technology and. The MLR during the COVID-19 virus were basically the leaders in the video game aspect of this, the fan engagement aspect of this. Yeah. And they came out with the virtual MLR competition. And we did shows on it, and it was a lot of fun. But it didn't even have players from the teams. It was just nations playing against each other because there are no real cool rugby video games out there, which is just mind-numbing. And I know that you're a big proponent for this. But the, the success of the virtual MLR makes the case for it, right? Just go to the living room of your house or to the, your, 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 your daughters. I have two daughters. I just go and see how they interact all day. I just been before in the morning they were playing, they were, they were uh, in school doing maths and playing Fortnite, correct? All in the same space of time. Rugby doesn't have that space at all. It's amazing. It just, it, it just, you know, it's, and I always said, hold on. Yes, we have a beautiful game, but also kids, regardless of the game itself, like to be uh, all the time doing something. And the digital life is something that we need, we need to address. And I was very surprised that people said, oh, that's a great idea. I said, guys. Uh, no, yeah, yeah, let's just form a committee and figure it out in a year and a half. <laughs> you know, it's innovation and technology should be, as, as the pace of the world goes, you need to address it every day because maybe like people saying, oh, we should have a computer game. That sounds very old, computer games. When you start creating a computer game, probably you'll be playing holograms in your, in your house. I don't know. Just, just uh, uh, any, anyway, we got to take a quick break. And when we come back, we want to talk about the campaign and your manifesto and that kind of stuff. But we'll be right back with Mr. Stephen Lewis and Mr. Agustin Pichot after this. If you're in New York City and want to watch some great rugby, have some great food, and some great times, go to the world's best rugby pub, The Pig & Whistle, on West 36th Street. McCarthy, Mr. Stephen Lewis calling in from the Upper West Side of Manhattan, and Mr. Gus Pichot calling in from Buenos Aires. That's not Buenos Aires on your screen. That's Midtown Manhattan. But, Gus, we've seen or heard you on the likes of the Rugby Pod with Jim Hamilton and Andy Good slash Good. Andy, I apologize. America's Rugby News with Brian Ray and, of course, Rugby Pass about your manifesto, your campaign. But what are some actual things that have a realistic chance being utilized, some of your innovations out of your manifesto? for instance, that Beaumont and Bernard Laporte will actually implement? I think that the campaign has rocked the boat a lot. Nobody expected it to be, to be how it was. Uh, and and it, it showed a lot of weaknesses on, 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 the, on the no change feeling that has been for the last 40 years. It has to be more democracy. It has to be stop paying lip service about this tier two bullshit 
uh, uh, phrase, there shouldn't be tier twos. It's just a question of how you develop, how you have the pathway. If you're Jamaica, so how, would, how do you call a country that is not in the top 20, well, tier five, tier six? What, what is the, there's no, again, that's very patronizing. I don't like the patronizing thing. I, I think it's too old, it's too monarchic. It's too monarchic. We are from countries that we, we like democracy. It's sporting colonialism is what I call it, yeah. right? We're supposed to get these crumbs from our European masters and be grateful. Yeah. And you know, I'm Argentinian again. I, I'm Scottish, but I'm, I'm American when it, and Jamaican when it comes to rugby. Exactly. Okay, that's good. Uh, so, and you know, that's exactly, Steve, that, that's exactly the feeling. It's, but it's like things got in time, they let them there. You know like what I mean? It's like, it's that sense of comfort of, okay, yes, we, we carry on patronizing because we are better than them. That's the thing that I don't like. I, I, like you, you go, you go to Jamaica to breed the culture of rugby inside Jamaica, correct? You're not gonna bring 100 Scottish to Jamaica, right? You don't want to just, you want, and I saw it with your coaches, you want people there to grow the game. There are people that want to learn and are involved. Gary Gold, and, and, or, or, or the same Mike, in, 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 they have to be coaching and, and let, what I said this, they have to be a Blaine Scully or, or, or Fedra, uh, those are the guys, again, and I'm putting as an example, that they should be learning again and then take that American sense or Jamaican or Argentinian or, or, or call it however, or Mexican, to take it because that's the only way that the grassroots will grow. Do you, are you going to stay, remain involved heavily in Argentinian rugby? In I help you in Jamaica, Steve. I can, take, I can be the water boy of your team if you want. Perfect. I'll take you uh, on. <laughs> um, oh, I had that again, job. I love the game, Steve. Um, I'm, the, the game is much bigger than me. I, again, I played everything. I was very successful. I made, I made money playing and it went really well. I uh, played in the best clubs in Europe. I have very good businesses that my CEOs run. But my passion is rugby. I don't know if I'm going to be coaching the under-17s of my local club here. But rugby is going to be with me. You're going to see me in rugby. Uh, I don't need to be the chairman um, playing golf or or traveling in business class to Royal Boxes. I don't need that. I don't need to be on a chairman position in a board or anyone just for, you know, for the CV. I prefer to be down the road with my friends coaching an under 17 division or helping the Americas to grow, helping Jamaica if I have to, helping like I did with USA Rugby. And I'm not bullshitting. You will see me. I'm not, you know that I don't talk a lot. I just do. Why not just say, okay, Four years from now, I'm running again because, you know, out of the gate, you accomplished a lot by just getting this thing on the radar as a campaign and a race and an election. Yeah, I felt very proud with the campaign. 24 countries out of Asia vote for me. We'll have support from Africa. We'll have support North America. I know what Canada told me off the record, and that, that's very sad, but I know it. I know how the movement is there. They need change and they need... So, again, it's a question of time. Not, not for me, but maybe it's not me. For years, maybe it's me. But here we, are, we created a, a different view of the game that is more modern and more equal and, more, and, and, and better for everyone. The whole process lends itself, secret ballot, to backroom deals, all the, all the stuff you don't want in politics. Yes. The Rugby Asia thing, I was very impressed by. They polled their countries they published the results and they voted on the basis of the results. That, sh that should be done everywhere. Yeah. Um, and that should be the first thing they change. I studied 
20, 20 votes against me. Well, just without moving, just a block without listening to my manifesto. Just, no, that's it. We had 20 votes, Europe, and the, just go and work the whole world. I didn't offer a position to anyone. If Bob Latham did that, it's his problem. If, um, if other people did that, it's their problem. Or, or Francis Keane, I haven't. I didn't offer, I didn't negotiate it. Yeah, but as your self-appointed campaign manager, I would argue that it's Argentina going against the all-stars of England and France. That's fine. And I, and I had all the support from Australia, New Zealand, uh, South Africa, Uruguay, most of the USA, uh, some of the USA, not all of the USA. Somebody, some people went against me because I don't know why. You mean the Americas, not the USA? Yeah, Americas. And that's fine. It's politics. But I don't get into that. As a campaign manager, you will not even raise the issue because I would tell you that's how I am. I will not trade votes. So you kind of got into the campaign late. Do you think if you got in a little earlier, you've been able to build momentum? I was, I, I thought that it was going to be postponed, to be honest. I, it was, we were in France having a meeting in, in late February. I already knew that I was going to run. I had all the support from the, from the nations that I talked to you about. Look, if I come to my companies and when the whole crisis was exploding, when people were going to see if they're going to die or not die, if they're going to lose their jobs or not do their job, the chairman of the company says, guys, whatever happens, I will run a campaign. What message do you send to your employees? You know what I mean? You say, oh, you don't, give a, you don't care a damn about our future. So I said, when I arrived from, from the meeting, I just kept three weeks just talking to my teams, to my CEOs, preparing for the hits financially, making sure that everything would be all right as long as we could. And, and suddenly I have a call that they were thinking of doing the election straight away. And I said, okay, guys, you've already decided. You're just asking me to, yeah, so. Are you persona non grata in the, in, the, in the halls of world rugby? Are you going to be treated like you're carrying uranium or the COVID virus? Or are they going to, you know, reach out to you and maybe give you a position, which would be the smart play? What do you mean, Krypton? That's a good question. I don't, I don't, I don't think they will give me a position, to be honest. But the worst thing I've seen you say was that, that it, the whole thing was patronizing in a way. But you, other than that, you've had nothing but warm comments or thoughts for Bill Beaumont. I know, but I, I don't work that way. I, I work this way. I, 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 that's how I am. I, I'm, I'm, I say, when you talk to me in one year or you talk to me 10 years ago, Steve sees me with the Jamaican people, I'm going to be exactly the same. I don't change. That's how I am. A good leader shows people what good things they can, you can achieve together, not just destroying other leaders. It doesn't work that way. Do you think some of this had to do with what your critics have said is a conflict of interest with you and, and Andrew Twiggy Forrest of Rapid Rugby? and the mining operations that you, you, you work with for him or with him? I think it's an honest, it's an honest question. And, I, and again, and I, and I take it as it is. I don't hide things. I am a business guy. I, I've been, I have media. I have a media business. I have nearly 700 employees. I have a mining company with, with Twiggy in South America that I, that I am the president. There is about another 600 people. I don't hide. My, that, that's reality. What that has to do with rugby? None. Mining and, mining and rugby. Andrew runs a competition in Australia, something that he takes care of with his business. I have no idea or have no say into that rugby part. And we've been very clear about it. And the same with my media company. My media company 
uh, works with Disney, works with different groups, but I don't deal with rights. I don't buy and sell. I just produce like you're producing your show. If people ask, I will tell them it's, it's there from the last 10 years and it's, it's, it's not something that is just created just to gain advantage of being, a, you know, it's, it's, it's completely the opposite. I give a lot of my time, most 80% of my time to make rugby better. Yeah, the criticism was around Twiggy, Andrew Forrest, needing a sanction for Rapid Rugby and you being the vice chair. That, that sanction was done and I wasn't in the room. Even if I had no influence at all, I said it because I think it's a, it's a good thing to step, step out of the room for 10 minutes and then to decide if it's good or Changing gears again, is there a woman out there that you see, that you know, could potentially crack the boys club and be a chair or a vice chair for world rugby. I, I wish, I wish they were down the line, but at the moment I don't see anyone taking that. But we need to work on that. Steven, anything for Mr. P show before we let him go? No, it's been informative. Appreciate your um, direct responses and good luck going forward. Thank you guys again for, thanks for your time and, and thanks for the support. Take care. Whenever you need, I'll be there. All right. And on that note, I'm Matt McCarthy for Mr. Steven Lewis. And Mr. Agustin Pichot for Rugby Wrap-Up in Midtown Manhattan, talking rugby and signing off. Stay safe, everybody. Stay safe. Cheers.